You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, hey there, rugby fans. Welcome to the first Rugby Red podcast rugby debate show with your team here. We got Rob the Hammer Hammerschmidt, Scott Ferrara, the big guy himself, myself, Ty Brager, and joining us on the rent this time, previously was here being interviewed by the team. Let's welcome Chris Shade. Chris, welcome to the show, man. Hey, what's going on? Thanks for having me. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us here. The last time was pretty great you were quite humorous we're expecting some comical moments from you again no pressure Uh, (laughs) i'm ready all right you're ready now we need to be able to remind everybody on how this works so if you're tuning in for the first time to the new version of the rugby rant we were previously the mlr rant we've now changed over to the rugby rant so we can expand the conversation be able to talk more about rugby in north america including the usa eagles rugby canada everything in between we want to be able to talk about the men's game we want to talk about the women's game and we're going to cover it here in this familiar rugby debate format that has become very popular with the fans and for good reason because we put these guys to the test to be able to battle against each other to see who will win this debate and what do they win at the end nothing (laughs) except for the bragging rights of course and that's what we're here to be able to figure out but the mechanics of this is that they'll each be given with the topic on hand an opening (laughs) rant of two minutes (laughs) over the two minutes they will receive a yellow card from me as the referee that is their first warning if they go over and infringe again they will receive the red which means they will be out for the next round and they will lose their opportunity in the next round to speak gentlemen we know the rules are you ready let's go absolutely oh yeah All right, so what we're going to debate here first in this round is going to be USA Rugby as they battle their way out of the bankruptcy case have now found themselves in the position, having recently been declared by a Delaware court, that they can now proceed and do not have to become insolvent, which would have been the alternative because their debts, of course, are so large. They now, it has been reported by a Delaware court that they'll be spending the next five years in paying back those creditors, of course, within that agreement. So where do they go from here? But before then, let's figure out what led to that situation of Chapter 11. Now, for our casual viewer of rugby, they may not realize that USA Rugby, of course, has been going undergoing some massive flaws in their financial woes, but it doesn't go back to 2019. It goes back a little bit further, and you could argue in some manners that it goes back as far as 2017 when they were beginning 
in preparation to be able to host the 2018 World Cup Sevens event, which largely so by the general rugby community was considered quite the failure. But to give you an idea of really what it means, let's put it into finances. So I dug up some details here, as Scott mentioned in our pre-show. I like to be able to do the research for the benefit of you as the fan, but they've also let me know that it's for the benefit of the team. Uh, So let's go ahead and share some of those details. So USA and its bankruptcy goes back, as I said, quite far back. Some of the most commonly perceived reasons is due to overspending from the 2019 Rugby World Cup campaign for the USA Eagles. But if we dig a little bit further... Let's go a little bit further back, and I actually have the Joff Rugby Report to be able to thank for this, who did quite an insightful dig into uh, revealing this information. But this mismanagement of funds, put in context, some of the main expenses in 2017 for uh, facilities, rental venues, equipment, and so forth, in 2017 was $508,000. Now, if you fast forward to 2018, that spend had increased from 508,000 up to just about $4 million. It is a massive, massive burden. And in addition to that, accommodation and travel and subsequent costs associated to that had accrued to just under 5 million in 2018 alone. How does an organization like USA Rugby go from a spend of a little over half a million to near 4 million in one area. And so that goes across the board. This ultimately led to them carrying a heavy loss from 2018 over to 2019 on the back of the overspend in the Rugby World Cup campaign. 2020 comes along and then the COVID crisis hits. There's no dues. Financial woes cemented, right? So gentlemen, now that we understand what has led to this and our viewers recognize the importance of why this bankruptcy case is relevant, Let's put it out to the team here to be able to give us what they think is next for them and what they need to do to get themselves out of this mess. So to be able to give the floor over to Scott. Scott, let us know what you got. All right, fellas, let's get hot here. So they've obviously, they have the structured, uh, the structured uh, five-year deal. All the secured debtors are going to get paid. We know that. Um, I don't think Ty mentioned it, but he did mention it pre-show that they've also um, set up the budgets in a way that the, the the way it was working previously was they were while they had budgets they weren't necessarily following them. They were kind of, kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul, and certain programs were not getting the funding, even though those funds were supposed to go to those programs um, as they had these losses. So now with all with that structured debt um, comes proof that they've they've shown a budget that is acceptable to the courts saying it's the, you know, th- this, these funds are going to be used for this. These funds are going to be used for that. And we're no longer um, swapping those accounts um, going forward. I think what this does is, is this puts pressure on us to not be in, in the, in the running for a world cup in 2027. That's what it says to me. Um, the account in me says by the time we figure out that five years, um, are we really going to have one year of unstructured debt, to get this all done. I mean, isn't this what put us in this situation was the overspending and the mismanagement on the seventh world cup. And now we're going to try and do it on a 15s in 2027. It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, I think, well, again, we're in a better position than we were. Um, there's more transparency. We, we, we will get out of this. Like uh, Ty said, unfortunately there's no dues. So there's a lot of m- revenue, not, you know, f- 
incoming right now. Um, Club Rugby starts up. Those dues start up. Also, you guys can make donations. Uh, you go to their website, usarugby.org, and you can make your own donation. Uh, as a matter of fact, you can also help the um, Women's Eagles 15 teams as uh, as they're going into their World Cup, I believe. Um, so make a donation. Say it's from the big guy. <laughs> okay. Was that it? You're up in your two minutes? I like yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. It was a strong finish, abrupt but strong. Um, so let's uh, put that in context. So you spoke about the um, the Rugby World Cup. Now, yes, you made a great, excellent point there. On the back of what led to this crisis was mismanagement of funds that were associated to big-scale events, one of which we said the Rugby World Cup campaign 2019 overspent. One further than that, hosting the Sevens World Cup. Are they in a position five years from now to be able to be have uh, the next event. I mean, obviously 2027 is the one that they're actually targeting at first, but we'd have to be able to think that right now where they stand, that is definitely not going to happen at best. You can maybe then consider yourself fortunate. If you have a partner, maybe with Canada to be able to do 2031. I mean, we had originally covered this conversation quite a few weeks back. In fact, Rob, you had cited as saying that you don't even see it being realistic before 2039. I mean, what do you think about where they are now and what can they do? Well, uh, I'm going to touch upon two things. So my bit will be will be short. Uh, before we get to the World Cup, let me touch upon what I think has to happen first. If there's anything that the last 10 or 15 years of USAR has proven is that they have not built a strong relationship with his members. There's a lot of mistrust there. We don't trust them. I'm a member. I was a coach. I was a player. And I don't trust them to do um, what they're supposed to do in managing uh, USAR's finances and being the governing body for rugby uh, and and 120,000 rugby players in the United States. So the question is, um, I think as much as there's a financial issue, there's a trust issue. How do they build trust amongst the members? Quite frankly, I no longer coach right now, and I'm not really playing. Um, how do they get me to be a social member even? Or to go ahead and say, yeah, what the hell? I might not coach now. I might coach in two years. I'm going to go ahead and pay my coaching dues, which have, by the way, gone up. So how do they do that? I think they need to find a way to build trust amongst the members so that people begin to uh, want to provide dues so that they then can have a bigger budget from which to do better things. Now, having said that, what's that better thing? Uh, a rugby world cup bid. Um, I don't think um, you're coming 20, up on your two minutes. Yeah, there's no t- chance for 2027, but just like Japan, you got to put in for 2015. They put in for 2015 to get it in 2019. We put in for 2027 in hopes that we have a much better shot in 2031 financially and a shot with, uh, with world rugby. Okay. You went a little over, but I'm going to allow it because you needed to finish a topic that I laid out building on top of uh, (laughs) (laughs) that. Sure. Okay. Booing the ref's going to get you points. Definitely. That's how you do it. (laughs) So, but I want to be able to address what you, the last part of what you said is Japan put in a bid for 2015 What did they learn from that? They were unsuccessful, but what did they learn from that? Okay, well, now you can identify this is why you didn't get the bid. Okay, now we know what we need to work on for the next one. So, yeah, it's a good point. Um, Okay, so here's another point that you brought up there, Rob. You said that trust. Trust was the key point that you hit in your last rant there. USA has lost a lot of trust, and they need to build that. Credibility is gone, not only locally, but internationally too. You know, it's just 
if you're in the, on the outside looking in, is it just more of the same of this sleeping giant that's yet to awaken? I mean, when is it going to awaken? Here's another story that, you know, just kind of keeps recycling every so many years. But to that point, I was looking on the USA Rugby uh, website and they have a comment section below a lot of this information that I gathered. And some of the comments read to this effect. One was by uh, the last name Zafir. And uh, word for word, this was the comment. With the lack of refunds this past season, I'll pass. The next one from uh, Rafa Jr. says, very similar sentiment is nice. Let me line up and pay not to play. (laughs) So certainly people do feel that way out there. So, yeah, there's a lot of repair reputation to be uh, to be done. But real, real, real quick, though, real quick. Yeah. I just want to say, you know, I trusted the fact that when Rob said he was going short, he wasn't going to use up his time. <laughs> and then I also trusted in the fact <laughs> I also trusted in the fact that if he went over his time, he was going to get a yellow card. And those two things didn't happen. I just like, sir, that. sir, can he can he just play the game and not uh, attempt to sway the official doing my to, best scrum uh, half in his favor? Yeah, I was trying to say, I mean, when we, you know, we've had this conversation, though, Scott, when have you ever played scrummy? Because you must have been into the past life or something because you're doing it pretty well. <laughs> there's a, there's I, a reason nobody's actually seen Marcus Walsh because I actually ate him. <laughs> <laughs> he played scrummy in the Clydesdale League. Oh, gosh. All right, boys. But, let's get back to the point here. Did you have a retort there, uh, uh, Rob, that you wanted to add? I'll give you uh, uh, some advantage play, mostly because it pisses off Scott. <laughs> uh, I, the only thing I was going to say was that, um, you know, it's funny. We talked about the MLR doing more development. Well, this is why people expect them to do more development, because it really hasn't uh, gone so well coming from USA Rugby. So they're looking for another right. avenue, and the MLR has had to step in rather than who it should be, which is USA Rugby. Excellent. So let's hand it over to, uh, to Shade. Let's see what you got. Okay. I don't want to talk myself into a corner because I did not do my homework. I haven't been keeping as up to date as I should on, uh, you know, the bankruptcy and how we're coming out of it. I mean, one thing I would say, I'm kind of just going to touch on a few things that you guys mentioned. Uh, I know Ty, you were saying it goes back probably 2017. I would agree more with Rob. It's, you know, it's been a lot longer than that, that we've been sustaining different levels of, you know, financial problems and problems with distrust and everything. Um, You know, one thing that I think has been going in a good direction as far as uh, building trust is the amount of transparency that they've had more recently uh, at all levels. And I think a lot of it is just the social media age. It's easier to make information readily available now, like you guys do with your show. So, you know, I'm in Columbus, Ohio right now, the, you know, Ohio Union, Midwest Union. And, you know, USA is releasing information as well. I don't remember five years ago seeing any information coming out, you know, consistently on social media. So that's going to do a lot to build trust, Um, you know, and then once that trust is built, I think it just allows everybody to do their jobs. Like, you know, a lot of people who have been in rugby clubs probably know that the best run clubs, the players focus on playing, the coaches focus on coaching, and then you have... Yeah, You know, your board of directors, your leadership who handled the administrative work, the, you know, the issue right now is everybody thinks they're going to jump in and solve these problems because we have distrust in the, in the people who are supposed to be sorting things out. So it's under a microscope a little bit, but I think everything will, will fall together a little more once, you know, now that 
they're being more transparent and people are really paying attention to what's going on. I think it's going to help to guide it in the right direction. Not right. that people weren't paying attention in the past, but. Congratulations on being about the only person who has time left. <laughs> I just didn't have much to say. And I wanted to. 10 seconds. Only I already... 10 seconds. You managed to fluff your own Yeah, time. exactly. So here's the thing. Uh, you did You bring in a couple of good points. Social media, both a curse and a blessing, right? So if you do something great, you can share it. If you do something wrong, everyone's going to share it. So, yeah, it's a double-edged sword in that regard, but transparency is at its root the importance. So I do believe from what I have observed as a cautious observer that they now have set aside different committees, different areas of responsibilities. They've looked to the greater rugby community and asked for nominations, so they want to be more inclusive. Um, but you have to be able to almost just stop, clean house, and start again and rebuild. Mm -hmm. You know, this is also coming on the back of the fact that they've had to move locations. They've now partnered with Glendale. They've got a new home. But you still probably have about, you know, let's say close to 15 permanently employed people in an office that is doing nothing, right? Um, so you got to ask, are the people who are part of who were a part of that same problem, still a part of it, because it may very well still continue. What I have seen, and we were fortunate to have Tony Rittnell on board, who's going to be um, campaigning to be one of these committee members, is you need, yes, rugby people. You need people who know rugby and understand the culture of rugby, but you need people who understand business, right? That's yeah. more important. Run it like a business, not a boys club. And yes, we're passionate about what we do, but the business needs to be more important than, than the sport in some cases. You run a successful business so you can promote the sport. You don't run a successful sport so you can build a business. And you know? Tony, Tony has my vote, just so you know. Tony has the business. <laughs> yeah. Tony. And I, I got – I mean, I was losing my train of thought, so I just kept talking about uh, responsibility and trust for the full time. But <laughs> I was going to say – I mean, the, the compartmentalizing and holding people accountable to everybody having their own profit and loss and their own budget and not being able to dip into, you know, youth or small colleges or whatever it is, that's huge right? Uh, for the organization. But then I was also going to say, I remembered to Scott, one, Marcus Walsh is in my basement right now, so you can't have eaten him. <laughs> but also, uh, the SIP page, the new portal for SIP has gone live. So you can yeah. register right now as well. I've heard mixed reviews on how the portal is set up, but everybody who's watching, get out and register for your local club because you can do hey, it Shane, right now. When you register, will, will you have the caps lock on and, and have your name in caps just like it Absolutely. is? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so talking about dues and getting registered, I found that they have um, – it is live from August 10th. They did it staggered in different uh, uh, sections, but essentially you could start registering from August 10th. To your point earlier, uh, Rob, about dues being more expensive, in fact, a report recently suggested that they have actually lowered it to the lowest point that it has ever been, which I think, if is the case, would be a smart move. Because as you so rightly pointed out, if I'm not most likely don't know when I'm going to play and I don't trust your organization and you're asking me for more money, these are three factors why I won't do it. Well, now, in contrast... If it is, hey, the dues are cheaper, even if it's marginally, it's still headed in the right direction. Yes, I understand that you can't uh, um, you know, guarantee any return to play. No one can, really. 
but you can tell me that you're separating the funds that you're gathering and the money that I put in, I know is going to my organization. So that's a bonus. So gentlemen, I'm going to put it to you for your final thoughts. We'll start again on the top left-hand side with Scott. Let me tell, let me know what you think USA Rugby needs to do. I think right now they're in a wait and see pattern. Um, hopefully we can open up spring rugby. Hopefully those dues um, start getting paid. I think you're right about the way they're going about it. Have lower dues, see what goes on, and put it out there and say, hey, if you guys want rugby to continue, we understand you might not play a fall season. It's not going to happen, let's be honest. You might not even play a spring season, depending on what's going on this winter. But we still need that money to continue operation, and if you want a fall season next year, not giving us anything and just kind of saying screw you isn't going to help us out either. Right. Fair points. Rob, what do you have? Well, with with nothing much happening, they still have people in the offices. While they have cut back, they cut back. They still have people in the offices. Why not run a a, a marketing campaign with your membership uh, clubs and really try to reach out to them and 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 start to build the relationships? The other thing I'd say is why not do what a lot of other organizations do, which is this: uh, if you if you pay your dues by a certain date, let's say it's September tenth or whatever have you, that you get a significantly cheaper rate. Uh, for your yearly dues than you do if you wait till, you know, after an, uh, a secondary date. And that'll incentivize people to go ahead and get signed up now uh, so that um, when there is a return to play, they're actually, you know, better off for paying uh, a little lesser dues, but getting it in earlier and they'll recoup yeah, some of the money. I can completely understand that. I mean, if you can get uh, the money up front and you can offer a reward for doing so, Right. And, of course, building partnerships with those local unions and, and clubs. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, another great point is the fact that even if we don't know when the return to play is, and let's imagine it's a later start than, than anybody could have foreseen, all the more reason to continue those relationships with those communities and with those clubs and with those unions because this is the time you can rebuild. So let's hand it over to Chris. Your final thoughts. Yeah, so my, I'm going to take mine a different way because I know, you know, obviously we're talking about the USA and coming out of the bankruptcy and, you know, we want to do things in the safest way possible. And a lot of areas of the country aren't starting to play yet, but there are some areas that are beginning to, to get back into at least practices, if not games. So I'm again in Columbus, Ohio, are basically what the you know USA Rugby has said is leave it to your local LAUs, so your local you know city union or state, whatever mm -hmm. it is, region. In Ohio, uh, we're from, you know, per our governor, we're allowed to start training now. High school football games are going on in Ohio right now. So I think if you are involved in the club and you're able to play, I mean, people are chomping at the bit right now to get out and, you know, have some physical activity and at least train. You know, you want to do it as smart as you can. So my club, Columbus Rugby Club, side of Valley is the D1 side. Uh, we sent out surveys. We figured out what the team's comfortability is. We had to send in, uh, you know, practice plans and uh, basically a whole laundry list of things to the COVID compliance person for Ohio. But now that we're all through the paperwork, we're going to start training next Tuesday and we're hoping that we're going to get some at least inner, you know, te other teams in Ohio interstate games during the fall. So I wouldn't totally count out the idea of playing some rugby this fall because in certain areas of the country, it is a, a possibility. Right. And, then, and, and actually Ty, I just want to, sorry, I just want to, yeah. yeah, jump on that. Um, and today is what the, the September second. 
or yeah, September 2nd. And uh, the Warriors just announced that the Warriors selects are going to actually be playing the Northeast Academy on November 7th, um, 7 p.m. kickoff at our, um, Salt Lake Stadium, Academy Stadium. So, I mean, Chris is right that there are certain places that are having rugby. Well, I was going to add to that because right here in Iowa, for me, we had the uh, Iowa State uh, Rugby and um, – the Tritons, uh, ICCC. Um, yeah, Central. Yeah. yeah, Central. So uh, they just competed this past Saturday, you know. So, yes, there are. With all- fans. Say again? Yeah. With fans. With yeah. fans, you're right. Oh, really? so there are parts that, that, you know, and we have to be able to take it as it comes. But ultimately, you have to be able to work with these unions now. You have to be able to build that culture of trust once again. And it starts now because some places have already begun playing. So good point from you all, gentlemen. Let me slide something else in there quick, because for people who are thinking that if you're playing locally, then you don't have to worry about, you know, getting registered. It's still important to get sipped because more so this year. And I guess I'll say that, you know, for for my club in Ohio, we're not going to go straight into contact. Like we're starting out conditioning training, hoping to get to skills soon. It's going to be socially distanced. We're going to have protocols in place to keep it safe. But you st- it's still important to sit so that you can be, a, you know, official events, have the insurance through USA Rugby, because there's going to probably be a lot more injuries this year just because people have been sitting around. And that's part of what USA Rugby provides for us is, you know, that kind of stuff. So. Sure. And you let's, let's be honest. The reason for all of that, yeah, which is to be able to protect the players and, you know, offer support for sure. And let, let's be honest, you know, $50 a year for a senior player you know, in Manhattan, that's a Saturday night bar tab. Forty-five dollars for a collegiate player. That's a, what a rack and a half of of uh, natty ice. You know, so I mean, it's never not that been much. Out of New York and only spent fifty dollars. I need to know where you're going. I'll I'll, I'll 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 text you. I'll text. It's you. a drop in the bucket for a crocheted bachelor party. <laughs> all right gentlemen i think that we've stayed the course on this one and i can tell you it was a pretty interesting debate um you know you all had great merits you all had some demerit in some in some way it's kind of hard to be able to tell who might be the winner of that round but it's pretty easy to tell who lost shade um so (laughs) let's uh, let's go ahead and move on to the next one good stuff (laughs) <laughs> so I knew I should have been just tearing them down as soon as they were saying stuff. Like, take some notes. Wrong. <laughs> if you can't beat them, you physically beat them. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's uh, let's take an opportunity to be able to take a break as we share a couple of messages from one of our sponsors here. Welcome back, Rugby Rant fans, to our next segment here. On the Rugby Rant podcast show, we have, of course, assembled an all-star cast, kind of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we do have one notable person here. It's none of the, the Rugby Rant team. Of course, you know Chris Shade. Scott. Um, oh. Is MLR. <laughs> <laughs> we flatter you. We give you way too much credit on this show. Um, but you, of course, an interesting character to be able to have on board. Last time you were here, we were fortunate enough to be able to have you on our run, pass, or kick interview. And in that manner, we had asked you questions as a player, as a part of the MLR. And, of course, you had the opportunity to be with the Gilgronies, and now that has, uh, you know, kind of come to an abrupt end with the truncated season of 2020. So the question is, what now for players, right? I mean, how does it work? If you're a player in the MLR, what do your contracts look like? This is kind of a weird season, and we don't even know when we're going to return, as we covered in our previous segment. So we thought that we would take time with Chris to be able to talk about 
player contracts, what does it mean? What are their rights? What different contracts they're offered? So to be able to speak about this, we're going to hand it over to Chris. We're going to give him open floor to be able to discuss this point. So, Chris, let us know your thoughts. Cool. I'll try to redeem myself here because I definitely know a little more about this than uh, (laughs) the current state of affairs. Uh, So my understanding, and I guess I'll preface by saying they've been sending out a document to all the players. I don't think it's like secret because they've been sending it out to everybody and updating it every week. But it basically just talks about player allocation to different teams. Uh, And on the form, there's a standard player contract, which is pretty self-explanatory. It's somebody who's, you know, on a full salaried contract to a team. There's the associate player, which we've had since the the beginning, uh, which is like an hourly contract, more or less, like more developmental contract. Uh, Then they have um, alumnus players, which are people who have been in the league but aren't playing anymore. Uh, Then there are allocated restricted and unallocated unrestricted. So, for example, right now, everybody who played for Denver is now unallocated, unrestricted. They're fair game for, uh, for the rest of the teams. But the majority of the players who haven't already re-signed a contract are allocated restricted. And my understanding of that is that your current team owns the rights to you until another team essentially purchases the right to negotiate with you, like a a trade deal more or less. Uh, The thing that is a little, I think, up in the air, there was kind of like a firm date on it. It was the end of August for when you had to negotiate uh, a transition buy or a trade rather. And then if you don't negotiate anything, you stay the last team's property until midway through the following season. Um, so I'm not, I'm not exactly sure how that works. I know that my contract with Austin is, I think going to be over this month. So I'm not sure how they can hold on to me longer than that. Not to say I haven't, nobody at Austin told me they're going to, you know, keep me on their books or anything. They're always super accommodating with me. So I think if I decide to go to another team, that's going to happen, but I don't exactly understand how those uh, rules work. Um, and then I was going to say something else, but I'm probably over two minutes, aren't I? No, this is good stuff. I want folks to be able to know this. Uh, We're giving you a little bit of a head start on this run. I appreciate that. (laughs) So for sure, let's just dig into. Customers need a head start sometimes. (laughs) So let's let's dig into that a little bit because there's a lot of information there. So you you had you know you spoke about a document that shared between all the players. It obviously updated regularly as to who is with what team under what conditions. The ones that seem most interesting is when you spoke about the restricted and unrestricted players. And let's dig into being able to understand what that means when you say, hey, you can't talk to this player yet. Right. And there was uh, so they they I mean, it's they basically enacted more player tamperment rules so that you can't speak directly to other teams. Again, like I said, Austin's always been very accommodating to me. They knew early on that I was interested in, in going elsewhere just because I wanted to be closer to home, which we talked about the last time I was on the show. They right. actually allowed me to do the same thing last off season. Uh, even though it was a different ownership group, you know, I came to them after 2019 and said, you know, Hey, I, I'm not sure if I want to come back next year. I love the organization, but I want to get closer to home. They gave me the opportunity to talk to other teams. And then I ended up coming back to Austin, but same thing at the end of this year, you know, I, I asked them and they were like, yeah, talk to whoever you want. So I think there's some uh, some wiggle room, more or less. You know, if your if your organization agrees to allow you to talk to another team, then I think you're allowed to. They just need like verbal confirmation. 
So this okay. information, it's not set in stone. And uh, I think there's, you know, for the players, there's a little bit of confusion around it, but they are making the information available to us. Like I said, they emailed it out to everybody. Perfect. Well, let's hand it over to, uh, to Rob. Rob, what do you think about this news? Well, I, I want to talk about it from uh, a singular perspective, and that is from the from the draft. Um, and I, I, in my opinion, it puts these draftees in a really difficult position because, quite frankly, you know, when they're you know the draftees come from you know successful college programs, uh, but it puts them in an unenviable position because they're often fighting for. Uh, uh, positions against guys who have much deeper rugby resumes. So when you think about the idea of a, of a, of a, um, a standard player contract versus, you know, that, that hourly wage contract, most of these guys are probably going to get signed to hourly wage contracts. And it's going to be a, a, a very uh, tough move for kids to be able to perhaps move across the country for an hourly wage contract. Uh, and oftentimes they're being asked to find their own employment. Um, so when you're asking a kid to move from, you know, say uh, the Midwest to L.A., it's a really tough call for, for you know, expecting a 21 or 22 year old kid to be able to make that jump, not really knowing what to expect. So um, it really requires uh, the, the organizations to provide some other resources, provide some other assistance to help those young men make that leap and make that choice. Um, and, and what happens, we know five, five uh, right now, uh, it's understanding that, that uh, five players uh, who are drafted were not signed yet. Uh, and so, you know, it really puts their careers and what they're going to do uh, in uh, a tight spot. Right. Fair point. So, yeah, I mean, if you were asked to be able to pack your bags and move to Seattle or San Diego, it might be a tough ask on, a, on something like that. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of great points there. Let's hand it over to, uh, to Scott to hear what you've got. All right. So I, I'm pretty sure I was I was on fire in that first segment. So I'm, we're going to continue with some <laughs> some red hot fire here. And I'm probably going to go over time. So the Super way, hot. you know, I yeah, think you also get a point for being modest. Um, definitely. Nice. Definitely one of your uh, key points. There. It's a New York thing. <laughs> it's definitely a New York thing. So the way so he's telling you right now, he's going to violate your rules, by the way. Yeah, I'm telling point, you right yeah. now. But I think it's an important point, so I think you'll give me some leeway. So the, right now in the NHL, the way restricted free agency works is Chris Shade is a place for the New York Rangers. He signs a contract. Ooh. At the end of the contract, <laughs> um, it's agreed between Shade and the Rangers that he's a restricted free agent. So what happens is in the first two weeks of free agency, if uh, Rob is the Chicago Blackhawks owner and he offers Chris Shade a contract, New York has the first option to match that contract, and then Chris Shade has to sign back with New York. The difference is – after the first two weeks, if nothing happens, he becomes an unrestricted free agent. That's not that doesn't seem like it's happening in the MLR based upon if you read the actual document that Chris Shade was talking about and the way he just spoke about it. First of all, it's unclear exactly what it means. But if it if we're talking about the way he spoke about it and interpreted it, it's unfair to the players that they now have to wait if they haven't been signed until the middle of the 20, 2021 season to find a new team. The reason it's unfair is because it has not been collectively bargained. The NHL uh, PA collectively bargained the way unrestricted uh, and restricted free agency works. The MLR has not allowed the players to unionize, and that's the sticking point. This is one of those player protections that players need. Because if I was a player and you know maybe I didn't get along with man- management, why wouldn't management make me a restricted 
uh, uh, restricted allocation allocated player. And then now maybe a team that would talk to me if I was unallocated and unrestricted now has to pay either. I think it's either $2,000 or 10% of whatever their um, contract was, whichever is more that'll deter another team from, from coming to talk to me again. None of it's been collectively bargained with the side of the players coming in and saying it's not fair to us. And that's, what I believe is the biggest travesty going into this, the way they have created this unrestricted free agency is that if you don't get signed, you now have to stay with the team. Maybe you can get a medical joker with them. But what if you, what if, what if you aren't looking to do that? What if you're, what if you do have, you know, a place to stay in a place to set up in LA, you know, you do have family Blake Rogers, right? He had family in Northern California. So he decided to sign with LA. Well, what if Chris Shade had family in, in San Diego and he could look at everywhere. There you go. He'll, he'll just live at your. He'll just pop up at a fan's house and live there as long as he's playing <laughs> rugby. But my my point is, it's not collectively bargained at the moment. And from what I've heard, the MLR has been blocking that. And there's specific steps. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I do uh, have I have a lot of experience with unions. Uh, the past ten years working with companies, uh, working at, on the management side, collectively bargaining with unit unions. So I understand the way the NLRB works and the whole thing. So. From what I'm understanding is the MLR is blocking it at every turn and it becomes a, a court battle on unionization. But the, the key point to me is this doesn't happen if the players get to unionize and it's collectively bargained. Right. So if you're going to say that, you guys could merge your two arguments because uh, by the same argument, I mean, the draft, not technically legal, you wouldn't think, to tell young guys out of college you can only make like you're saying an associate's contract but you have to move to this state and you mm-hmm. can't talk to any other team or if you don't go into the draft then you just can't you know work in this you know industry at all is seems like it's it's not right. quite right but i mean it's obviously growing pains to a certain extent because it's you know it's something new but well the, the one point to be able to bring up well two points actually i want to be able to add so let's let's just stop for a moment and think about unionizing. Obviously in America, everybody hates that word, right? If you're depending on which side of the argument you are, but uh, the last word that I remember is that there was uh, players had, had agreed, you know, collectively that they wanted to be able to be represented. That representation had contacted the lead, but there was no, no conversation was had between the two. That was last that I know. Um, so then I'll, I'll say that. And then the second half of that is you touched on it a moment ago, Chris, is that yes, we're a young league, fledgling league in many uh, examples. So to bring in unionization makes it more expensive for the league. So could it potentially be to the fault? Yes, you get what you want, but could it drag the league down with it? Only time will tell, but there is definitely some drawbacks that have to be considered as well for both sides. Well, the, the other thing is, too, is the league is putting out these rules and nobody's necessarily, as far as representation standpoint from players I've talked to, sometimes their representation isn't understanding what's going on. So that's why you have guys like Anthony A. Train Parry, Matt Houston, Ooh. creating the High hey. Performance <laughs> Management Group. Yeah, they created their HPMG, High Performance Management Group, signing players because they were in the MLR. So because they're in the MLR and they have some understanding – they're they're trying to create this 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 culture, knowing what goes on in the MLR. We can help players and and help players you know go forward and, and get what they need out of contracts. Right. You certainly need and, people and, experienced and, to to navigate through that and who know it. Rob, 
And, 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 you know, and going back to my point where I talked about draftees, you know, here's the, that's great uh, because there's a network of current players. I'm sure Chris knows Anthony Perry. I'm so, I'm sure Chris could be well connected to get hooked up with those guys, but you know, there's a, what's that? He sends, he sends me shirtless photos like once every other week. (laughs) I get him too. He has ads now and I don't. It's a whole big thing. I used to, he didn't. So he's not an agent. He's a pimp. (laughs) I feel left out. I feel left out. I would. I don't. I don't get those. I'll forward. I have your number. You guys are breaking <laughs> all this rhythm here. Rob, the floor is yours. That's man. okay. I'm good. I'm good. But, but there's a disconnect for draftees. I mean, the draftees don't have access to a guy like that, right? So they're left up to their own devices, or potentially if they have parents that understand contracts, um, you know, the potential the parents can help them. But they're at a definite disadvantage. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I would agree. I, I mean, to, to ask a kid that young, just coming into being, you know, early adulthood, it's, it's a huge decision. Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, for me, if I were in a similar position, I'd probably pay rugby for a lot less, you know, because I just enjoyed it. Um, but that's not it. When you're turning pro, you have a lot of other things to consider. I mean, you're really being asked to be able to decide the course of your career so early and without any guidance. Yep. So, uh, gentlemen, uh, let's let's kind of sum that one up for a moment. Uh, you know, I'm going to go once around the table and you can pick one thing that would make it better uh, than where it is today. What would that be? So let's go ahead and start where uh, we started this round. So, Chris, tell me what you think. What would be – let's boil it down to one thing that could help it. Oh, man. Like the, the allocation specifically, like how players are allocated? I would say, well, you decide, man. You decide an area that would make it better for the players, ultimately, in the end of the day. Oh, yeah. I mean, having a, a seat at the table, like like what Scott was saying. I mean, if there's a, a player association of some sort so that we have – even I'm overusing the word transparency. I just don't have a big vocabulary. But the more information we have about, you know, how things work I, – I mean, we were talking in the pre-show, you know, I was one of the, I guess, senior guys in Austin who just had a little more, I guess, professional experience from having real jobs in the past. So I understood a little bit more about how the HR side of things worked. I had a good understanding of how workers' comp worked, unfortunately, because I've had a few injuries the last few years. So I was really having to talk a lot of the players through those situations. Right. And, you know, whether it should be your team specifically or the league as a whole, we just need to have a, a better way for the players to have this information. Because even obviously you guys got your hands on the allocation form. They they sent it out to every player in the league. But I would argue that I would be very surprised if 50 percent of the players were aware of this form that we're talking about, even though they emailed it out to all of us. Well, it's just like anybody else who reads the fine print, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, and I didn't see it the first time either, to be totally honest. I skimmed the email I went through and somebody was like, Tof, how'd you feel about that new allocation thing? And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So I, I had to go on the link back on the Google. After this comes out. <laughs> but then I read it. Second time through, I was locked in. I understand. <laughs> All right. So let's hear from Rob. Wrap well, it up. I, you know, I think the lead could thing. just it change it all. Yeah. The league could just start with dealing with uh, figuring out how to deal with draftees in a consistent way to help them along in the in the path. We all want to see a direct path from you know player development from you know youth programs to high school to college and then ultimately to professionalism. So that's one thing that could be shored up. Help them find a smooth transition from a college um, system 
to uh, professionalism, okay. and then that path would be clearer. I think that's a fair point. But what we have to realize is that, and you kind of alluded to it, is you first need to define a pathway. That half has now been done. The second half is to help them navigate that pathway. And that's what you're talking about. Right. So with the right guidance. Okay. So, Scott, final thought. Uh, I think groups like, you know, high performance management group are, are what's going to help these players um, understand the rules until there is a union to represent them. And I mean, you'll still need the, the, you'll still need the, the, the guys to read the contracts and, and interpret the rules. But until like Chris said, they have a seat at the table, you don't have those same protections. And I wonder, Chris would just mentioned, you know, workers comp, you have a lot of owners in, and people in ownership groups that aren't American and may not have worked in America or who, who run companies in America that understand the way our workers comp system does work. So how are they explaining to the players through the teams, how if they might not know, I'm not saying they don't know, but I'm just saying it's one of the challenges that you're going to have as you have international ownership come through. Fair enough. Although right, hopefully as the ownership comes in, we'll get real insurance plans. <laughs> we'll be on, you know, the more money that comes in, the less likely it is that we're going to be on workers comp. <laughs> right. Fair enough. That's uh, that's a good point there. So the solution is triple everyone's salary, right? <laughs> that's simple. All right, gentlemen, you know what? It was a good round. I think it's pretty insightful stuff. Most people wouldn't recognize that there are different levels of contracts and what they mean. Uh, and we've also come to realize that a lot of the players themselves might not even realize it. So pretty interesting stuff. Thank you, Chris, for sharing that. I think automatically you win that round just on the basis that you got <laughs> some great info. <laughs> that's the <laughs> All right. Excellent. So take that win. Uh, and be proud. I don't want to win all of them. Yeah. Spread the love. By the way, you know that you're the uh, you're the girl grony that's not wearing the girl grony gear, and we've got <laughs> everybody else's uh, he, he, beautiful shirt the gear on there. So you're you're actually dressed down for this one. You guys are kitted <laughs> up. I, where'd you get the kit from? I need it. All well, of it. We're we're fortunate enough uh, to be blessed uh, with with uh, a nice package from the uh, the rugby shop guys who had a bunch of goodies inside it. Uh, mine was the hat. I normally, I'm sure Scott was probably going to mention this. I don't even actually wear a hat normally, but this is about the only one. That fits me. Every other one came like straight over my ears down to here. So I don't know if they got big hats or <laughs> like a small head. Mine's <laughs> in the mail now or how, where, how do I get my hands on my kit? Uh, you well, actually, actually for, for your, for your stuff, you have to go to the rugby shop.com. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't Actually, wear this to rub it in. I figured you'd have something like this in your wardrobe already. Yeah. I do. I have that one for sure. I'm talking about the hats, but I mean, I'll take oh, you want the hats. I got, I got a couple. Of, I, I don't know. I got, I got uh, some, some nice stuff. We'll be revealing some of the stuff that we got from the rugby shop guys throughout the nice. episodes. And we were very lucky because, you know, not only do we get to be able to do what we love and talk about rugby, um, you know, we got a lot of people who are happy to support us along the way. Uh, and it all comes down to folks like you who join us on the show here, man. I mean, it's it's great value to our show and to the fans that they get to learn something so insightful about player contracts that wouldn't normally be shared by the league. As you said, you know, the word of the day, transparency is key. Um, so we're thankful that we've got a lot of people who can help us along the way, including us. I'm going to reread that email, reread it. Hopefully I was allowed to talk about this. 
I'm about to get like dragged away, like a bag over my head into a van as soon as I walk out. Yeah, you see, just just when you're able to get up and run again, you see a few guys with baseball bats and balaclavas come to you. You know, you're well, like, here, oh, crap, it came to hey, get me now. You know, what, you know what might make some YouTube videos on how to break, you know, like uh, you know those uh, plastic, uh, uh, you know, zip ties or you know something like that. And you know, you know what will sure. make you feel better, Chris? If you go to the rugbyshop.com and you can actually go to the, <laughs> the Rugby Rant store. We actually have a store with where, where we're selling Rugby Rant merchandise. So check it out, guys. And uh, on that note, it is also 20% off uh, until the 13th of September. Just to let Beautiful. you know. There We're kind of proud about this. We got some. We got some classic sayings. Actually, you know what? I'll put this out to you. You're a comical guy, so we got some shirts that we add our own sayings to, and they're printed. You come up with something, we'll put it out on a shirt. All right. How much? Like, we'll like find a, a way to get to it. Yeah, something so funny. Man. It? All right. It, so we'll, we'll, I'm going to shoot you a message. You come up with something, and it'll be. It'll have. It'll have credit to you. All right. Perfect. <laughs> All it. right. So, gentlemen. Uh, we covered the points there. A lot of interesting thoughts about where rugby will be become 2021. Uh, let's let's break it down. We got a long way to go until 2021. A lot can happen until then. But one thing that keeps popping up in the fan zone groups across the board, no matter which group it may be for which team, is what cities are being speculated to be in the future. Now, to be able to prefix this conversation. On the back of an interview that was recently had with uh, with Alex uh, uh, Magleby of the uh, Full Contact CEO, of course, linked to the Free Jacks podcast service, he had the opportunity to be able to interview George Killebrew himself. Now, as the commissioner, you can imagine anything that comes out of his mouth is probably going to be gold when it comes to the league because he's so entrenched in, in, in all the ongoings. So it was questioned, well, how does Major League Rugby make its money? Well, it was revealed in this interview that probably right now with, with, with no play conditions, no tickets are being sold, there's no games to, that, are, that are being had, um, well, you got to think it comes from the team's investment, right? And that investment is in the franchise fees. Now, it's rumored to be about a $10 million investment to be included in Major League Rugby. So that's a great cash investment. So... Yes, it's enticing to be able to continue thinking about what city will be next, because in this environment, you would have to be able to think, let's imagine that rugby doesn't commence until April next year, as it has already been revealed on our Steve uh, Hoyle's uh, interview that we had on the run parcel kick. So if that's the case, where's that money coming from? They got to start thinking about 2022, including new teams. And George Killebrew had identified that they're looking at adding two teams each year. He didn't speculate as to when that would stop, but we have to be able to think it might end somewhere north of 20, maybe even as high as 24 teams. So what are the teams that we could expect coming up? Uh, there have been some talk. We're going to hand it over to Rob first in this occasion. Rob, tell us what you think. Yeah, so in that interview, we know that he he specifically right after Canelo, which currently is in their in their certification accreditation uh, uh, point here in their ninety day term. Um, he, in fact, I a, think that just ended at the beginning of September. Yeah, 
Right. So within that same breath, George mentions four cities, Chicago, St. Louis, Kansas City, and Las Vegas. Three of them are Midwest cities. We've talked about this on previous rants. Uh, I think Chris spoke about this uh, the last time he was on with us. Um, and and so what's interesting is being in Chicago, of course, a lot of people think it's going to be one of those cities in my suspicion. And that suspicion is, is pretty strong. Um, I've talked to two independent sources uh, that have pointed to a group that has made overtures uh, with the league about potentially starting a, uh, having a franchise here in Chicago. And the group that, that, that I've heard is, is the Chicago rugby club. Now a little bit of context for people that aren't in Chicago, Chicago rugby club was actually formed when the Chicago uh, condors, which were a division two team. Uh, and I believe it was um, the um, women's team, which is the sirens decided to merge together, join forces, kind of pool the resources because they were both struggling a little bit from there. It's grown to include the D one Griffins, uh, the frogs, which are D5, and the silverbacks, which are D4. So they have a full complement, right? Um, and um, and then they have a high school boys and high school girls program. Um, here's the interesting thing, and there are two important points to remember. That, uh, number one, the idea that what they've set up with the CRC, um, this idea is pretty solid for development. They have a system now for people to matriculate up into an MLR uh, franchise. Um, And then secondly, they have a name, a head coach for the Griffins, Darren Morris, former Welsh, uh, former British Lion, played for Neath, played for, um, you know, some other clubs and and the Barbarians. And so, hey, I'm, I'm giving you good information, and there's going to be more to come. Good that information. for sure uh, negates any yellow card. No, 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 you're Keep right. Going. I, you're right. I didn't actually say the yellow. But look, it, it, you bring up some great points, okay? So, yeah, the, you're looking at a player pool when you've included, what is that, four or five different clubs there? That's a, that You basically yeah, secured your, your local player pool, which is fantastic to be able to see. You know, recently, uh, Stephen Hoyles, when he was on our Run, Pass, or Kick interview, had identified that the Giltinis, should they still be called that name when, of course, they take the field, uh, will be looking to draw from their local clubs, in particular, Belmont and Santa Monica. So, And he also revealed that in that interview that they're incentivized to be able to do so because it can be as much as a 10% increase on your salary cap. So if this information is already given to uh, organizations that are now uh, applying for their bid, you can see how it's even greater importance for you to connect with your local clubs, which should have been the plan all along. Not to say that others haven't done it, but we could always do it better. So great points there, uh, Rob. Did you have a final thing that you wanted to be able to add? I'm good. All right. You look like you had something you wanted to share, but I'm going to hand it over to Scott, who's so entrenched in his phone and not the show. He's taking notes. He's he's getting his thoughts prepared. It's called the the Big Guy Revenge Tour. So the first thing, I'm just going to put it out there. Ty let Rob go over again. No, I gave him the yellow. No, because it didn't sound like it, sir. Secondly, I'm I'm shooting. I'm going to shoot a a shot across the bow here of the MLR. Commissioner Killebrew, really? You, You snubbed the rugby rant? to go on Maggleby's podcast? Hey, right. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying this is personal bias, but flapjacks over the big guy ain't, ain't right. Anyway, um, 
I think pipeline, pipeline, pipeline. Those that that's the the three words you need to talk about when you talk about any expansion. Um, you know, Kansas City has the Blues. They're a huge pipeline. The, the Blues had Matt Workin. Um, Ryberg was there last season, I believe. Right shade. Um, and and I'm not sure Ryberg was. Basket was, was there. Stripler. That's what I'm Bosco was there. Yeah, exactly. So Bosco was there working. A whole bunch of guys were there. Um, Vegas. Vegas is interesting for me. Everybody thought a Vegas franchise for the NHL was just going to be, you know, a shit show. And you know what? They came out and produced year one. Yeah. Um, Vegas is one of those cities where you can go, um, you can do West Coast work and and still be in Nevada and living in Nevada and playing in Nevada. Uh, much like Chris Shade can still play on the Austin Gogronies and then drive to Ohio if he wanted to. Um, I think it's a little closer drive. It's an hour drive. Uh, yeah, you know, it's 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 a little closer drive. But um, it's definitely something that's doable, and I think um, a franchise in Vegas, as long as they can get a good field, because right now the two fields in Vegas suck. Again, Commissioner Killebrew, that's on you. If they can get a good field, you can get a franchise there, and you can get players to go there because there are work opportunities there or in L.A. about an hour and a half away. Right now, Foden's is sweating. You know that, right? As a Rooney First guy, of all, you know that Foden's sweating. <laughs> Listen, if there's a the first thing you'll see when they have a Vegas franchise is his shirt off, his pointy nipples right on the friggin' sign. You know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you deserve that yellow. That like last comment about pointy nipples certainly sealed the deal for me. Obviously, you've never seen any of his 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 Instagram posts. This Obviously, is a I should show for crying out loud. <laughs> okay, we digress, Chris. Tell us what you think about it. I mean, I'm, let, let's say that you, we, we know from the last time and all the conversations previously, uh, Columbus is obviously your home. So I know that you're thinking that should be a great location. It was home. Yeah, to but I, I beat that to death last time. I could talk right. about that the whole length of the show, but I'll, I'll stay away from it. Okay. Um, so I would say on. I think something interesting that Scott brought up is people uh, commuting to potentially work. As we come out of COVID, I don't know about, you know, you guys in your – day jobs but like i'm working remotely right now and there's no real uh, indication that i'm going to be forced to go back to the office anytime soon it's one of those things where yeah you can start coming in a couple days but you only if you feel comfortable it's like that pretty much all over the country it's going to be really interesting to see depending on how uh everybody does in different industries remotely people's jobs might stay remote and then there's probably a lot more opportunity Going back to our last segment for guys to, you know, work remotely and then live wherever they need to really has nothing to do with these teams. But getting back into it uh, <laughs> to talk, obviously, I'm going to go up to the Midwest teams, even if I can't talk about Columbus, like the Midwest needs a team. It makes sense geographically. It makes sense that three of the four teams that Kilbrew dropped potential teams are in the Midwest because that's obviously a, a you know, a hole right now with their, we need to fill. Um like you guys touched on, all of those teams have a really good pipeline. Uh, the Blues, the Griffins, and the Lions for Chicago. So they have two power, you know, big D1 clubs that have been around forever. Uh, in St. Louis, I think it's the Bombers is their uh, D1 club, who I'm not as familiar with because they weren't in the Midwest uh, when the last time I was playing competitively, and now they've split the conferences. But, you know, just to pitch the Midwest again, we talked about like the cost of living in LA on you guys did on the last show, but low cost of living in the Midwest, really good employment opportunities in those type of cities. Uh, you know, there's good locations for stadiums and all of them. 
I like, I don't see a downside to putting a team in one of those places. And the really nice thing about the clubs that we mentioned, and again, I don't know as much about St. Louis, but the blues and the Chicago group have a lot of money. Like these are clubs that are, you know, I compete in the Midwest when I play club footy and they are, you know, right. Heads above the other clubs, as far as funding backing, I think, uh, you know, they have, old boys that are paying six figures into the club yeah. just to like keep them flush in, in some instances. So like these are teams that are already well established, have, you know, hundred plus SIP members just for the club sides. And if you bring a pro team into that, it's just going to grow even bigger. So. Right. I mean, you well look at, and, and, and getting uh, areas that have great rugby culture. I mean, for the most part, Rugby culture goes back to like the 70s where there was a huge boom in the Midwest where there was clubs popping up almost everywhere, right? Um, and in a large part of the Midwest, you know, there's, there's, there's not an overly saturated sports market for the, for the most part. I mean, it covers a large area. Um, and if you would have to also think that if you did have a club that was established, sorry, an MLR team that was established here, it would almost instantly gather the support of every other city in the Midwest. So its reach would be far wider than the city limits itself. I'm in for any of them. I'll be yeah. there. <laughs> so I wouldn't be surprised if it actually meant that you would have, I mean, I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I would not be surprised if it's not one team, but two teams that are the next expansion teams that are announced from the Midwest. Maybe it's St. Louis and Chicago. Maybe it's Kansas City and another. Who knows, right? But it makes sense because you can build a rivalry within that uh, that conference. You can still have balance in the conference then. You just move those two into one conference to the west or to the east, depending on their position. Uh, if you decided to have them split, it's still got balance. So it might very well be beneficial for you immediately to be able to induct two new teams rather from the Midwest rather than one. Especially if it's really going to be consistently two a year. Because that I mean that's a lot more team. If we're really getting up to like twenty-four, I mean right. St. Louis, KC, Chicago, looking at like Minneapolis, obviously Columbus and Cleveland and Cincy all talk about wanting to have a team. Uh, you know, Charlotte, North Carolina, or something south in the Carolinas, right. other than Georgia, like Vegas, you said, Miami. Right. Well, that, I mean, you need a lot to get to 24. 24 is a lot. There is. I mean, yeah, there's definitely room to grow. I mean, obviously, the U.S. being as large a country as it is, you almost need to start thinking about a point. Okay, well, how do we mitigate some of the travel ex- and expenses is by keeping teams a little bit more close together, creating rivalries, creating a rugby community. So, Again, I start to go back to my original point is I wouldn't be surprised that if you look at the next announcement of new teams that they both end up being from the Midwest. And then in addition to that, I circle back around to a much earlier point is in these uncertain times where you're not even sure where you're going to have a, a, a return to play. And if you look at Rooney and you look at Toronto, who in the truncated season of 2020 didn't even get a home game that investment or money is not coming through its usual means. You haven't got sponsorship. You haven't got the TV rights like other uh, top industries do. So the money is coming from investment. Where's that investment coming from? New teams. Yeah. I would imagine it's in their best interest to keep it growing. Here's something, Ty, you're wearing, you're wearing an arrows up shirt. So this is a question for shade. So let's say uh, there's a return to play in 2021. Um, let's say the government says we don't really want our guys going to Canada to play Toronto, but we're allowed Toronto to come in, do you know a 14-day quarantine, and then stay in the United States in a Midwestern state. Maybe it's Cincinnati. Um, would you sign with Toronto Arrows if they were based out of Cincinnati playing in 2021? 
if they'd have me. I mean, Toronto's pretty well set up with a pipeline of Canadian U-20s, you know, all the way up. But obviously, if there's a team playing in Ohio, I'd want to sign with that team. Any coaches out there, ideally, if I can sign like a medical joker, live in Columbus, Ohio, you don't even have to pay me. Just fly me out for games, fly me back. Look at you, Greg McWilliams. Look at you. Reach out. I thought you said you were a great negotiator. You just like offered to play for free. That's not a negotiation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got the remote hey, guy, hey, guy, guy. you're Shade's <laughs> agent. Tell him to shut up and let you negotiate the deal. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. All right, gentlemen, again, it has been fun. It has been humorous. It has been the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. And we have had a fantastic time sharing what we know, a lot of what we don't know, and it's a little bit in between. But ultimately, we do have to be able to pick a winner. So first up. Shade, you're out. Um, <laughs> I love you, but you're out. Uh, so that leaves the two regulars. We got Rob, uh, the Hammer Hammerschmidt, and Scott Ferrara, the big guy himself, who I think took the first round. Um, he was he was a little overly confident, but uh, you know, it's a deer. I mean, it was, two it was merited this time. It was merited this time. Say again. Didn't he have two yellows? I'm just. I, th- I think you had two yellows. No. I think you had two yellows. I one, one. Yeah, well, he said he was going to go overtime. So but I was going to give him the MLR, MLR if he didn't at least <laughs> the Just like the MLR, we do not have a TMO, so we can't do <laughs> that at all. So I think actually, ultimately, we're going to hand this first uh, win of the rugby rant to Scott Ferrara. Yes. I was team Scott, so I was just trying to, you know, hit the victory. (laughs) Take myself out of the running, I'd sabotage Rob, and then we'll just share that trophy. Perfect. Actually, it worked perfectly because you did point out that 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 Rob released Marcus to you. Dinner tomorrow. Awesome. (laughs) All right, gentlemen. Once again, I wanted to be able to take the opportunity to be able to thank all of our viewers for tuning in to be able to watch this rugby debate episode of your popular and much-loved Rugby Rant podcast show. And with the help of our sponsors, the Rugby Shop and the Four Corners Rugby Academy in Colorado, uh, Grand Junction, you can find out more about them online through our page and our website. So check us out under the handle at the Rugby Rant pod. And uh, you can meet us and see us online next week for and all of our future episodes, I should say, every Wednesday night and every Sunday afternoon, we'll be releasing new content from myself, Ty Braga, Rob Hammerschmidt, Scott Ferrara, and Chris Shea. Thank you for watching the Rugby Rant Podcast Show. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.